lesson five of the elements of anatomy and physiology this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org recording by kathleen the elements of anatomy and physiology by william rushenberger lesson five functions of nutrition digestion mouth the prehension of elements mastication teeth their structure the manner of their formation their form and use saliva salivary glands deglutition pharynx esophagus one the blood as we have seen in nourishing all the organs it may be said loses somewhat of its properties and requires to retrieve the losses which it thus undergoes now it is renewed by receiving new materials from the productions of the earth too these materials destined to the support of the blood and consequently to the support of the whole body are furnished by the various elements or food three that they may be nourished all living beings require that alimentary substance should be introduced into their bodies from time to time four plants pump up by their roots the elements furnished them by the earth and these matters are mingled with the nutritious liquid called sap which permeates throughout their tissues without having undergone any preparation five with animals it is altogether different the elements previously to being absorbed and diffused through the different parts of the body to afford nourishment to the organs and to enter into the composition of their tissues have to undergo a certain process of preparation called digestion six digestion has for its object first to separate from alimentary substances the nutritive part from that which is not second to transform this nutritive part into a peculiar liquid fit to mix with the blood and nourish the organs which liquid is called chyle seven the process of digestion always takes place in a cavity situated in the interior of the body and communicating externally in such a way that elements may enter it eight all animals are provided with a digestive cavity nine plants on the contrary having no need to digest elements have no such cavity the elementary surface of a plant is the exterior of its root spread out in the earth ten in some animals the digestive cavity is simply a pouch communicating externally by a single opening which performs the functions both of a mouth and of an anus eleven but with the greatest number it is otherwise the digestive cavity has the form of a tube open at its two ends and enlarged about the middle this enlarged portion of the digestive tube is named stomach and serves to contain the elements while the greatest part of the process of digestion is performed twelve the superior opening of this tube is the mouth it is through it that food enters the digestive cavity the inferior opening called anus is destined as an outlet to matters unfit for nutrition which are separated from the food by digestion thirteen 
in quadrupeds and most other animals we distinguish in this alimentary tube diverse portions the uses of which are different they are first the mouth second the pharynx or swallow third the esophagus fourth the stomach fifth the intestine fourteen other organs or instruments also concur to effect the digestion of food and constitute with the tube of which we have just spoken the digestive apparatus the principal are first the teeth destined to divide and grind the food second certain glands such as the liver and salivary glands serve to form the humours which act upon the food in order to determine its digestion third of particular vessels destined to pump into the intestine the nutritious juices produced by digestion and to mix them with the blood in short we might consider as being in some sort auxiliary to the digestive apparatus certain organs with which certain animals seize their food and introduce it into the mouth but these instruments principally serve other purposes and do not really belong to the apparatus of digestion fifteen the process of digestion is very complicated and is made up of several phenomena or distinct acts which take place in different parts of the digestive apparatus and which have for instruments particular organs sixteen these phenomena are first the prehension of aliments second mastication third insalivation fourth deglutition fifth chymification or stomach digestion sixth chylification or intestinal digestion seventh absorption of chyle eighth the expulsion of the residue left by the elements after digestion is finished we will now study successively these different phenomena and the organs which produce them of the prehension of elements seventeen the first phenomenon of the process of digestion is the prehension of elements that is the act of seizing them and introducing them into the mouth eighteen the mouth is a cavity of an oval form closed in front by the lips on the sides by the cheeks and jaws above by the palate and below by the tongue behind it is continuous with the pharynx or swallow but is separated from it by a kind of curtain called the velum palati veil of the palate and which may be elevated or depressed so as to close the passage or leave it free nineteen the entrance of the mouth may be closed or opened by movements of the jaw and lips on the prehension of aliment the latter are separated to permit the entrance of the substance and are immediately afterwards closed to prevent its escape twenty with most animals the prehension of aliments is performed by the lips and jaws alone but with some other organs are employed to seize the substances and convey them to the mouth with man and monkeys the hand thus becomes the chief instrument of the prehension of aliments with the elephant it is his trunk and with parrots the claw twenty one with most animals the food remains for some time in the mouth to be chewed and mixed with saliva of mastication twenty two 
liquid elements may be immediately swallowed but solid food to be swallowed and digested with facility should be previously divided into very small morsels twenty three this division called mastication is effected by the aid of the teeth which set in motion by the jaws press upon the food and cut or crush it twenty four in man and those animals which in their organization resemble us most the two jaws are situated one above the other the upper jaw is fixed immovably to the cranium but the lower jaw is only attached to it at its posterior part and is there held on each side by a sort of hinge or joint which permits it to be separated from and approached to the upper jaw twenty five the muscles which serve to bring the jaws together and which consequently act most during mastication are placed on each side of the head in front of the ear and when we press the teeth together we can feel that they contract twenty six in most mammalia the edges of the jaws are armed with teeth twenty seven the teeth are small bodies of great hardness which resemble bone very much they are planted in holes hollowed into the jaws which holes are named alveoli twenty eight the fibrous pads which cover the edge of the jaws and which are called gums serve as well as the alveoli to fix the teeth solidly in the position which they occupy twenty nine generally each tooth is divided into two parts one is situated without and called the crown the other buried in the alveolus and terminated by one or more points is called the root of the tooth finally we often remark between the crown and the root a slight shrinking called the neck of the tooth thirty the teeth are composed of an internal substance called ivory and a sort of extremely hard stony varnish which covers the surface and is called enamel thirty one the crown of the tooth only is covered with enamel the root has it not thirty two the teeth are formed in the interior of the jaws and within little membranous pouches called dental capsules which are enclosed within the substance of the bone and which present in their interior a fleshy bud or granule from the surface of which exudes the stony matter of which the tooth is composed thirty three this stony matter is the ivory it moulds itself upon the bud and takes its form just in proportion as new quantities of ivory are deposited upon that already formed the tooth enlarges as well as the species of case which it forms around the bud which shrinks away until finally the little organ being too much compressed disappears the tooth then ceases to grow thirty four in proportion as the tooth is formed as we have just said it rises in the alveolus passes through the gum and shows itself without thirty five the enamel is formed at the superior portion of the dental capsule and is applied upon the tooth just to the extent it traverses that part of the capsule it is for this reason that the root which remains at the bottom of the alveolus is never covered by it thirty six the teeth which are formed in the earliest period of life are destined soon to fall and to give place to other teeth stronger and more solidly fixed the first are called milk teeth or deciduous teeth 
or teeth of the first dentition the second the permanent teeth or teeth of second dentition thirty seven the teeth are divided into three kinds namely thirty eight first the incisive or incisor which occupy the front of the mouth and terminate in a thin cutting edge have but one simple root and are fit for cutting the various elements thirty nine second the canine which are placed on each side and next to the incisors are in general long and pointed they also have only a single root but it penetrates deeply into the jaw their principal use is to fix themselves in the flesh upon which the animal feeds and to tear it forty third the molar teeth or grinders which are next to the canine occupy the sides of the mouth they are generally provided with several roots and present a large unequal crown appropriate for grinding the food forty one the molar teeth are subdivided into false molar dentes biscupendi and great molar the first are smaller than the second and are situated in front of them the roots of the great molars are also more numerous which gives them more solidity and power forty two the number of teeth varies in different animals man monkeys the dog the cat and so forth have the three sorts of teeth we have just described but with the rabbit the rat and the other gnawers rodentia the canine teeth are wanting and in other quadrupeds such as the sloth there are no incisors finally there are also animals that are entirely unprovided with teeth the anteater and birds for example forty three the form of the teeth also varies in different animals and we remark that these differences are in accordance with the nature or kind of aliment upon which these beings are destined to be nourished forty four thus with the dog the cat and other carnivorous animals the molar teeth are sharp and fitted to cut flesh like scissors with the mole and hedgehog that live upon pretty hard insects these teeth are armed with conical points which dovetail or fit reciprocally and enable these animals to crush their prey with facility with the frugivorous animals monkeys for example the same teeth are large and their crown is armed with rounded elevations suitable for crushing fruits and with the ox and horse which browse or crop the grass the crown of these teeth is still larger and its surface is flat and striated like a millstone forty five in man the deciduous or milk teeth begin to appear about the sixth or seventh month and fall about the seventh year they are in number twenty namely in each jaw four incisor two canine one on each side and four molar two on each side forty six the permanent or teeth of second dentition are in number thirty two forty seven the incisor and canine are the same in number as in the first dentition but in place of two molars on each side of each jaw there are five the total number of molar teeth in adult man is consequently twenty ten in each jaw forty eight the five molar teeth on each side are divided into two kinds namely two false molars and three great molars of insalivation forty nine 
during the act of mastication the food is mixed with the saliva which phenomenon is designated under the name of insalivation fifty the saliva is a watery fluid colourless and frothy which is formed in particular organs called salivary glands fifty one in man these glands are six in number three on each side of the face and are called parotid submaxillary and sublingual fifty two the parotid glands are the largest they are placed beneath the skin between the ear and the jaw and empty the saliva into the mouth by a long straight tube which opens on the inside or internal face of the cheeks fifty three the submaxillary glands are smaller than the parotid and are lodged below and behind the lower jaw fifty four the sublingual glands are smaller than the preceding and are found under the tongue fifty five the saliva serves to render the deglutition of food more easy and contributes to accelerate digestion of deglutition fifty six the food conveniently prepared by mastication and insalivation unites upon the back of the tongue in a little mass called an alimentary ball or bolus fifty seven the alimentary ball is next swallowed we give the name of deglutition to this phenomenon which consists in the passing of food from the mouth into the stomach through the pharynx and esophagus fifty eight the opening which occupies the back part of the mouth and which forms the communication between this cavity and the pharynx is called the isthmus of the throat isthmus van cecum during mastication it is closed by the veil of the palate velum palati but when deglutition is about to take place this species of curtain is raised and the alimentary ball is pushed into the pharynx fifty nine the pharynx is a cavity situated between the base of the cranium and the front of the neck above it communicates with the nasal fossa by the posterior nares or nostrils a u as well as with the mouth and below it presents two openings one by which it is continuous with the esophagus the other situated in front and called glottis by which it communicates with the larynx and windpipe we may compare it to a cross-road where the route followed by the air to get from the nose to the lungs crosses the route followed by the food to get from the mouth to the esophagus sixty that deglutition may be effected the alimentary ball must pass beneath the posterior nostrils and over the glottis without entering it and descend directly into the esophagus sixty one the veil of the palate by being raised up and placed obliquely against the posterior wall of the pharynx forms beneath the posterior nostrils a sort of screen which hinders the food from mounting upwards and entering the nose from behind during the act of swallowing sixty two that the food may not enter the glottis it closes at the moment of deglutition and at the same time the larynx is raised up against the base of the tongue a movement which forces a valve situated above the glottis and called epiglottis to fall and close the opening sixty three sometimes however deglutition not being properly effected the food penetrates into the larynx 
and at once brings on a fit of coughing when this happens it is said we swallow crosswise sixty four the esophagus or gullet is continuous with the pharynx it is a long membranous tube which descends from the superior part of the neck behind the windpipe enters the thorax passes behind the heart and lungs pierces the diaphragm and terminates in the stomach sixty five the pharynx and esophagus are furnished with a layer of fleshy fibres which are placed transversely in rings which contracting successively from above downwards convey the alimentary ball into the stomach end of lesson five